Thank you for joining us on another edition of the Oregon Lacrosse Podcast. On today's episode, we have current Madlax Oregon coach and Sunset High School defensive coordinator Ryan Macri. Ryan and I discuss his time at the University of North Carolina, where he was a starting defenseman on the 2016 National Championship team, his philosophies as a coach, his time as a dancer, and so much more. Before we get to the interview, the Oregon Lacrosse Podcast is brought to you by Madlax Oregon. Elevate your game this fall and winter with Oregon's premier coaching staff. Register for winter positional clinics or winter box league at madlaxoregon.com. Without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Coach Macri. Welcome to another episode of the Oregon Lacrosse Podcast. I am your host, Mike Marcotte. I'm sitting here with Ryan Macri. Ryan is a graduate of North Carolina. He's, he was a starting defenseman in the 2016 National Championship game. He's a current Madlax Oregon coach and the defensive coordinator at Sunset High School. He has been living in Oregon for about a year and a half now. Ryan, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Super excited to have you on. Last episode, we had Josh Peck, who kind of older in the Oregon lacrosse scene, been around for a long time, provides a lot of uh, experience from the coach perspective, running a program perspective, but super excited to get someone who is a recent graduate of um, playing college lacrosse at UNC. First episode interviewed Alex Slusher, and that was great to see a kid going into college and now interviewing someone that's just coming out of college, you know, within a year or two. So, Super excited to have you here. Um, let's start with a little bit of lacrosse history. Where are you from, and how did you get introduced to the sport of lacrosse? Yeah, so I picked up lacrosse at a very late age, I'd say. I was born in California when I was six. I moved to London for one year, then Prague, Czech Republic for two and a half years before moving back to Boston in the middle of fourth grade. Obviously, coming from Europe, hockey was a big deal for me, so I played hockey all throughout middle school and then when I was going to practice in sixth grade um, right by our rink was the lacrosse field so saw lacrosse and one of the parents who was driving us said hey it's just like hockey except you have a stick that's above your head and playing with a ball Um, so that's the kind of the first moment that really turned me on to it started playing club pickup anything I could do to get a stick in my hands um, and start throwing the ball around so hockey was really that first entryway and a perfect transition from football get to be physical hockey play with a stick pick and roll from basketball kind of all those sports really transitioned into one um, and never looked back since we'll get more into multi-sport athlete stuff later but did you continue playing hockey after you found the sport lacrosse I played hockey for two more years went through the rest of middle school playing hockey and then of course after you don't have to wake up at 5 a.m and you actually get to play in high school, I quit. So my parents were happy about that. Um, uh, but yeah, I just finished playing out through eighth grade and then it was all across from there. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that culture where you have to wake up so early to find a rink. I, I mean, especially even in Boston, there's gotta be rinks everywhere. 4am wake up calls from my parents all year round, just for me to quit in high school. <laughs> now in Portland, there's only one or two rinks I can think of. And that makes sense. But in Boston, maybe it's just a hockey culture thing. Just trying to breed tough guys. Exactly. Toughness. Yeah. Um, so what was your earliest lacrosse memory you can be as specific or as broad as possible 
Earliest lacrosse memory. Um, I remember getting out Pingree Field, Massachusetts, with a stick in my hand for the first time and just not being able to throw, catch, do anything. Um, but the one thing I could do from my football background was just hit people and run around like a crazy man. Uh, but so that's where I really just picked up on the game and kind of the concept of ground balls, toughness, grit, um, all those things that you hear today about what ground balls are all about is what really introduced me to the game. And what got me excited is that you can be physical, um, but you also have to be tactical and you can't just push people in the back. I remember I was playing defense and had one hand off of my stick. Like I was backpedaling in hockey trying to get that separation. And I feel like that, that concept of space and hockey all translated onto lacrosse field. Um, but learn the details that you can't have one hand on your stick playing defense. So <laughs> that, that was, that was the first memory I had. It was doing a back pedal with one hand on my stick. Like I'm playing hockey and knowing that I wasn't supposed to do that going probably forward. Probably stick was halfway <laughs> to the ground. Exactly. Probably leading the league in penalties for your first year. Absolutely. <laughs> lots of high hits, lots of slashes, lots of one hand on the stick. Coming off the field and palms. I right, coach. I, so I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did. And you said I could hit people, <laughs> right? Um, Awesome. So let's just transfer now to the high school lacrosse years. Where did you go to high school? Um, and talk about maybe your freshman year coming in. What was that like transferring from middle school lacrosse? Absolutely. So I went to the Governor's Academy, small private school up in Massachusetts, 400 kids. Uh, when we moved back to the States, the whole plan was to go to Hamilton, Wendell, Massachusetts, the local public school. Uh, but ironically enough, I was playing football. One of my buddies was trying to get recruited to play football at this high school. They saw me there, so got introduced to the program through football. Um, but they're also one of the top uh, lacrosse programs in what they call the ISL, the Independent School League, up in Massachusetts. So kind of lucky happenstance, was able to go to a great private school to play lacrosse. I think the transition to high school lacrosse was crazy. It was a, a big difference coming from middle school, town, and even select but I was lucky to come in with a lot of confidence. Back then, Blue Chip was still a big deal, um, and I got invited to the Blue Chip Nike camp, which was only 100 kids at that time. So I came in very high on my horse, um, and I think that didn't necessarily serve me well. I remember being at a wrestling match, which I did the winter of my freshman year, and talking to one of the senior defensemen, and saying, oh, yeah, I think a couple guys told me that I would start with so-and-so. And he was going to be the third defenseman that they said I would start in front of. And so I'm telling this to the senior defenseman that I was going to start in front of him and not having any idea that that's what I was saying. Um, so I was definitely came in with kind of this uh, aura, sense of ego. U15 National Championship in eighth grade um, was on the all-tournament team there. Got invited to Blue Chip. So definitely felt like I had everything going for me and that I was just going to walk in and start. I played my first game and probably split playing time as that third defenseman and got roasted on two plays, came out, played here and there for the rest of the season, got better in practice every day. And then we go into one of our big league championship games and just based on how I've been playing in practice they thought I gave the team the best chance so got a start in our league championship as a freshman and I remember so clearly first play of the game fast break coming down on the bottom right of the the fast break and just got so excited I just slid 
and a slid way out of place, wide open, doorstep, goal. They're up one nothing, and uh, that, again, kind of put me like a deer in the headlights. Oh, crap. Um, am I able to do this? Played uh, the rest of the game, kind of taking some shifts off, getting uh, the senior back in, but we ended up losing that game, lost the league championship for the first time. I think it was in four years at that point in time. Um, so it was a huge learning experience for me. I think coming in thinking that I was the world's greatest lacrosse player as an eighth grader and then getting introduced to what high school lacrosse is all about um, was a huge learning experience, but set me up for the years to come. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you we'll talk we'll talk about it a little bit later, but you coach the Mad Lacs Oregon 2023 team, which are rising freshmen this year. So this is their first year um, coming up playing high school lacrosse. A ton of talented kids on that team. Um, a lot. And I'm, you know, they'll probably make some of the same mistakes you do, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, let's talk about now freshman year's over, uh, kind of coming off your high horse a little bit. You got three more years of high school lacrosse. You have a recruiting journey ahead of you. That's going to be, um, probably long, exciting, cause you a bunch of anxiety. What was the next three years of high school like for you? Yeah, I think the the recruiting obviously was a huge part. Going into sophomore year, you start getting all those calls at that point in time, knowing that you're going to commit first day of your junior year to what where you want to go to college. Um, I think that summer going into my sophomore year, so after my freshman year, um, was one of the best learning experiences I think I've had in my entire life. I took that same approach um, of going into high school as a freshman. It's like, hey, I'm the best thing. I need to go D1. Like I'm going Syracuse, North Carolina, Virginia, and it's that or bust. And so every tournament I went into, whether it's Blue Chip, Maverick, um, any of those other showtimes, I was so nervous and played so tight in all those games that I just had a terrible summer. I played terribly. I was just like, coaches are on the sideline. I need to pick up this ground ball. Whiff get blown past somebody and then just be living in the past and living on what that last play was. Um, so that journey kind of that summer was eye opening for me. And I learned a lot about myself and, uh, going into that next year is, you know what, you know, screw this idea of trying to be the best in the country and have to do this, have to do that. I'm just going to have fun at playing lacrosse. That's when I play my best is when I'm having fun. So I really went into that sophomore year all about have a freaking blast at what you're doing and everything else will fall in place. My coach also got on me about my weight. I was playing football at probably 240. And he said, if you want to play here, you got to be smaller. And if people know me and my personality, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. So I went from 240 to 200 pounds over the course of three months. Um, not in a great way, having lettuce and a beef patty for lunch and then apples and peanut butter for dinner and calling it a day. Um, but got down to 200 pounds, had an amazing sophomore season, just doing what I'm supposed to do, having fun doing it, go into that summer, go back to all the same showcases and just absolutely tear it up. Um, but went into those summers with the mindset of, Hey, if like Lehigh, you know, lower D one is where I'm going to land. Great. Like that's where I'm going to land. I'm just going to go out and have a blast doing it. Cause that's what sports are supposed to be. Um, and when I was able to kind of loosen up and kind of take the foot off the gas, 
um, in terms of mental preparation, everything fell into place, had a phenomenal summer, got all the letters from Syracuse, Virginia, UNC, all the ones that I was fighting so hard for the year before and played terribly. Um, and then going into my junior year, uh, got the offer from Carolina and uh, committed on the spot, which my dad was not very happy about. Naturally, they give you the offer and you think about it and ask how much the scholarship's going to be and kind of negotiate back and forth. And without hearing any of the numbers, I was like, yep, that's that's where I want to be. Thanks, Coach Freshie. I'll be there. Uh, so I had to talk that over with my dad, which he wasn't very happy about, but ended up being obviously an amazing decision, gave me great confidence. Um, but knowing that I had to play for the love of the game, had an amazing junior year again, being the top defenseman uh, in the league for the ISL. Um, and then heading into senior year, I actually got hurt, had a sports hernia surgery um, my freshman year of college, but um, didn't know what it was at the time, couldn't get any doctors to figure it out. So I actually missed my entire senior lacrosse season, which was a huge disappointment. We won the last two ISL championships and then lost that one. And obviously I feel like I could have been a good contributing factor um, in that. So kind of ended on a low note uh, for my senior year, but so many learnings uh, from freshman year to sophomore year for sure. Yeah, man, you taking a season off for anybody is tough. Um, I've, some of the best seasons I've ever seen are those comeback seasons, though, where you so anxious to get back there, put so much effort into getting better and healing, and all you do is watch and learn, and then you get to apply all that on the field again. Um, but you seem like you found the right spot at North Carolina. Absolutely. So you said you committed on the spot. Do you mean that when you got the phone call, you committed without even visiting? So I had actually visited um, uh, that summer, went down, saw Co Coach Brashley, saw the campus, and I knew UNC was always a place I wanted to go um, over any other school, any other ACC, any other Division One school. I went down there, visited. I thought when you visited, that's when they give you the, the offer. Um, so I remember leaving there almost in tears being like, we had a great conversation, but they didn't, they didn't say anything. Um, so I was devastated for a month thinking that it was over and I was just waiting for that opportunity. And as soon as that phone call came, um, in Massachusetts, it was no questions asked. Thank you. Well, that's, that's so interesting that it happened a month later. Did, did you know, did you, were you in constant contact with them or how did it, how did it all shake out? Did you just get a random phone call one day? Yeah. So it was a little bit of back and forth. Actually, coach Bresley and myself were trying to get on the phone for, two days I think we had for that month we kind of left it on the table sent probably one email back hey super interested still like any any update didn't hear anything so was really pursuing Virginia Penn State Princeton at that time um, just keeping kind of irons in the fire and then got that call and after two days of waiting and trying to get on the phone um, it was awesome to hear the voice and then also obviously hear the answer I was looking for. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of the best phone calls, probably your life so far. I, I think yeah. it has been for yeah, sure. One of the best <laughs> one of the best moments of my life was that that exact same moment. So, um, yeah, super awesome when you find the place that you know is right for you. Let's let's go on to that recruiting journey. Let's dive a little deeper into that. Let's try to pull out some advice that you could give to current high school players now. Starting with uh, starting with, how do you know when you step on campus somewhere that it's the place for you? 
for me, it all starts with the coaching staff. I, I feel like that's, that's who you're going to live and die by at the end of the day. Those are the guys that you know, put food on the table, essentially in a college term. Um, obviously with the caveat that those guys do come and go. Um, but you can get a pretty sense, pretty good sense based on their track record, if they're going to be there for the next couple of years. And I remember when I went to Carolina, there's, they preach family academics across. And when you look at that coaching staff, you, you saw family, uh, Bresci was dad. He was everything that you'd want in a father figure. You looked at coach Fife, who's the defensive coordinator at the time. He's your older brother. Who's going to give you crap. But then you also can tell jokes with him. You have Coach Holman, who's wise, wise grandpa. Don't tell him I said that. But he, he's somebody that you can come to with anything. Um, gives great life advice. Can push you um, in ways that other coaches can't. So when I went there, it was truly family with the coaching staff. And I knew that's what I wanted to be a part of. And looking at what the mottos were, family academics across, that was exactly in line with kind of what I value. My goal of going to college was to have friends and family that will last me a lifetime to get an amazing degree that will set me up outside of lacrosse and then to win a national championship. And those are the three things that I went there for. Those are what I wanted to get out of college. And I found a place that valued the same, the same three things. Um, so for me, it was kind of a no brainer in that sense. And when you go through the process, I think looking at coaching staff is huge and knowing, have a clear idea what you want to get out of it. Um, luckily the process has moved a little bit later now. Um, so get an idea of, you might not know what you want to do professionally yet, but do you want to go to a school that has big time football? Then you can, you know, narrow down your choices. Do you want big time basketball? Do you want a smaller school? Do you want to play more? Do you want to have the chance to fight uh, for a team that's going to be in the championship running every year? having a very clear idea of what those answers are, I feel like help guide your journey and narrow um, the number of schools you're looking at very quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super important to have a clear vision of what you want. I know it's extra to people that are listening to this that are sophomores and juniors. It's really hard to do that as a sophomore and junior, probably harder for some than others, but writing it down, there's nothing wrong with writing it down pros and cons lists, doing it the old fashioned way. When you visit, does it, does it hit this checkbox? Does it hit this checkbox? And then you kind of have a, you know, it's kind of nice to have that um, list of the things you want to hit in a college experience. I 100% agree. And put, like you said, put pen to paper. I remember writing out those five factors as a chance of a national championship, big time football, big time basketball, uh, top five business school, and then rate those one to five rate each of those like weight them so this one is five importance to me this one's a four importance and then does it go from a one to five scale multiply all them out and get like a final ranking of what that school is and then compare them across it's not perfect it doesn't make up for what your gut feel is but it gives you a great sense on paper of this one checks all the boxes and the stuff that i care about the most is weighted that way um so it gives you a good indication yeah i remember academically when I was looking at schools and deciding between schools, I remember I wanted to go into business and, you know, get into a business, a good business school. I remember for whatever reason, I thought this, I was like, if they don't, if, if their business school isn't named after someone, <laughs> then it's not a good business school. And I don't know why I thought that, but I remember crossing schools off because their business school isn't named after someone. <laughs> I was like, well, then if no one graduated from this school and gave a bunch of money back, the business school it's probably, probably not wasn't that good. good. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, Keenan Flagler Business School. I yeah. have to say, I, I followed your advice. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, awesome. So, you, so for all the players out there, what Coach Macri is saying: put pen to paper, find out um, exactly what you want in a school, but also there is the element of gut feeling. I think there is a huge element of when you walk on campus and it feels right. That is means a lot. Um, I'm, I remember walking on a few campuses. I'm sure you did too, where you just walked in and you're like, it just doesn't, for some reason I can't put my finger on it, but this just doesn't feel right. And so the people out there trust your gut, um, have that, you know, piece of paper, have that ranking list set up before you go take those visits. And it'll probably make the process a lot easier if you're one of those fortunate people that can kind of pick and choose where you want to go to school. hundred percent. And I'd say stick with your gut no matter what. Um, for me, I committed to North Carolina on the spot again, so didn't really talk to a lot of people. Uh, I feel like my family knew where my heart was at, um, but called my high school coach and I was like, hey, I committed to North Carolina. And he said, you just made the biggest mistake of your life. Um, he's a big uh, Virginia fan, really wanted me to go to Virginia. Um, and for him to say that and put me on the spot, you made the biggest mistake of your life was huge for me. Um, and somebody who I trust and admired and who got me into this high school, um, somebody who got me into all these summer camps, somebody who I really admired telling me I just made the biggest mistake of my life was eye-opening. So actually after I committed to Carolina, I went back to Virginia to do a second visit. And exactly what you're talking about, I was walking around and couldn't really put a finger on it, but it's just like, this is not for me. This is not my type of guys that I want to play with, not the right culture just as far as an entire school um and so i said thanks for your opinion i appreciate it but i'm going to stick with carolina and i look back on that decision now and having done what we did winning a national championship acc championship while virginia got one acc win over those five years that i was there um i think speaks to that gut feeling and when you step on campus you know you know it's right and you know when it's not right so take everything that kind of those role models um say with a grain of salt and really trust that gut and know that you're making the right decision for you awesome um so let's let's now you're at unc let's talk about your time there um what was it like you already talked about coach Breshi being a dad figure but what was it like being on the field with him what was he like as a coach what did you learn most from him on and off the field um, etc yeah so my transition to carolina was interesting because i did come in hurt um, with an injury that nobody really knew what it was at the time. So it took him till October to diagnose it as a sport turnia, went in and got surgery. Um, so it was really out my entire freshman year, being able to come back a little bit in the spring, um, get my feet wet. Um, but having that coaching staff and having Coach Bresci there, when you preach family academics across, then it doesn't matter what you're doing on the field. doesn't matter if you're hurt. Everybody wants you to be healthy. Um, but the things that they preach and our priorities always remain the same and that it's about us as uh, people and about us getting better off the field. And so having that, when I was hurt, down, everybody wants to play, everybody wants to contribute right away, but having a, a structure and priorities that are all about family uh, really helped uh, in that transition. But then moving into sophomore, junior year, he's a guy that wears his heart on his sleeve and you know exactly what you're getting from him day in day out. If he's frustrated and he's angry with the team, 
you're going to know he's frustrated and he's angry with the team and you're going to hear about it. And if we're fired up and we're clicking on all cylinders, then he'll pump us up. Um, and so I love that about him. You never questioned where you stood, which I think is a huge problem that a lot of coaches have. It's does, does, does he like me? Am I playing good? Am I never going to play or am I great? Um, you never had that at uh, North Carolina, especially with coach Bresci, very straight shooter, you know, we're going to redshirt you this year, freshman year, plain and simple. This year, I think you're going to play a little bit. Next year, you're our starter. Another year, you're our cover guy. Um, so it was never in question. And just playing with a guy that has that much passion um, really translated on the field for us and translated for me to play with a guy who has as much passion for the game as I did. I think you I think you saw that passion from my perspective, from a, from a fan's perspective, so to say. Um, in that 2016 national championship run, a team that went unseated, if I'm yep. not mistaken, unseated, um, probably barely getting into the tournament in some fashion. Luckily. You could probably make a case for a couple other teams to get in ahead of you, but you luckily got in and you f- fought and clawed your way all the way to national championship. I think you almost dropped the game to Marquette, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Sure did. I heard that on another podcast um, <laughs> from the Marquette coach. And you could see when North Carolina held that trophy up, Coach Bresci and the emotion he had on his face. Um, tears tears everywhere, tears from everybody. The whole program, you know, speaking of the family, academics, um, all that stuff that kind of culminated into one. What was that like as a player winning that? Gosh, it was, it was wild. Um, I don't know if there's a better way to describe it. I think if you look at the playoffs um, in a vacuum, you don't really understand – the journey and why all those tears are shed um, at that point in time. We we were a we were a bad lacrosse team. Uh, we were barely over five hundred to finish our season. We lost to UMass at UMass, and I think you ask anybody on the team two thousand sixteen, you might hear national championship first, but most likely you'll hear a horror story of UMass and being locked in the basement of a shady hotel and people just opening up, shedding tears, yelling at each other, hugging each other, kissing each other. Like it was the longest two hours I think of my entire life of breaking down every second of film getting ripped apart, getting built back up, tell everybody telling each other what they hated and what they loved about each other. And that was just a huge moment for us and something that we always look back on. And you think about our journey and did we almost make the playoffs where we're not supposed to be in it? We lost the ACC semifinal to Syracuse but the week before we were down by seven to Notre Dame in the fourth quarter and came back to win that game and that's the game that ended up getting us in the playoffs Uh, we thought we needed to beat Syracuse to have a chance but we lost to them thought our season was over (laughs) we're all together watching the selection show and everybody thinks that the season's over luckily we get in play Marquette it's snowing out. Marquette's fans are amazing. 
um, chirping everybody behind the goal. It was a really cool atmosphere. Um, you play on that field and the grass is overgrown and you have all these different factors and we sneak out a 10, nine win in some amazing fashion. And that started building some hope and some optimism, um, going to Notre Dame, the team that got us into the playoffs and our arch rival, everybody says UNC hates Duke. And we say, no, we hate Notre Dame. Um, so I think everyone hates Notre Dame if you're not Notre Dame. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's always uh, one that you have circled on the calendar, but especially the team that led us into the playoffs and then playing in Ohio state. Um, this is where the stars really started to align for us. Um, coach Bressy started coaching at Ohio state. That was his first uh, coaching gig. He also had his first son while he was living in Ohio and his son died at the age of three, um, was actually backed over by a car. Um, and coach Bresci lost his firstborn son, um, which you can imagine is quite something to happen. And every fall we have a game where we play against Ohio state and it's called our thumbs up game. Cause, uh, every night before, uh, coach, uh, would put his son to bed, um, and walk out, uh, he would always give the thumbs up. And so that's something that we took and something that really shows Coach Bresci as being a father figure and letting us into his life. That's usually something that people don't share and especially mm-hmm. don't share with their players. Um, but that's something that he shares with us every single year and something that when you talk about family, something that we're all there to support him on. Um, so to go back to Ohio State, Coach Bresci visiting his son's um burial site coming back for our game where it's like there's no other option besides win like this is so much more than a lacrosse game like this is this is family this is doing it for one another and this is doing it for coach Bresci for everything that he's done everything that he's had to endure throughout his whole life this is this is more than lacrosse and we come out there and we just kick the living crap out of Notre Dame and I know we're I think we're up by five, six at halftime. And we came out of uh, the locker room, the second half more energized than we have been for any start of any game, no matter what the pregame talk was. I think even the, the people who were holding the doors for us just knew what was coming in that second half. And we just kicked the living crap out of them for another half. Um, and from that moment on, there was no doubt in our mind that we we're going to win a national championship. Stars were, stars were too perfectly aligned went to Loyola, kicked the living crap out of them, came out, we're up 5 nothing on Maryland, and we were about to steamroll them again, and then we had some dumb turnovers on defense. Um, but everything just aligned, and then even to that last, last play, we have a stupid penalty uh, by Luke Goldstock on the other end. Oh, Nowhere he, near a play. He hit a goalie or something. He hit, hit the goal, hit yeah. a defenseman <laughs> on on the hip uh, yep. when the ball was at the other end of the field. Flag down. Twenty five seconds left in the game. Going against freaking Maryland's man up unit. Everything should be pretty doom and gloom at that point in time. Um, but we huddled up, and captain at the time, Jake Mathai, had preached this the the entire year. Whenever we'd go man down in practice, it's like favorite part of practice. Because what more chip-on-the-shoulder type of play is it than playing man down? You're one last guy. There's just something fun about that. 
Um, and so being able to remind the team, Hey, this is our favorite part of practice. And we went out there, got a stop, got the ball back and obviously, um, ended up with the W and you saw everybody's thumbs straight up in the air. When we were on that man down stop throughout the entire overtime, you saw the whole sideline with thumbs up, looking up to Michael Bresci, um, uh, and giving, calling down on him and having all that energy around that moment was so special. Um, it was the 25th anniversary of the last time we had won a national championship. So when we run out of halftime, we had uh, the entire, um, class that won the national championship 25 years prior. Um, so I mean, talk about stars aligning, like all those things culminated into an amazing moment. I think that's why you saw that from a fan side, is that this was just meant to be, and this team's playing with a lot of passion. Yeah, I mean, you could you could feel it from a fan. I mean, probably not to the level that the players and the coaching staff and the administrative staff, you know, they were feeling it, but you could feel it. I could feel it as you're saying it. Um, it's crazy to hear, you know, some people still say, like, oh, it's just a game. That's not. It's way more than it's a game. More. I mean, there's just the things that sports can do for you and for a community, for a, a group of guys, you know, is is nothing you know short of amazing and you'll have that memory for the rest of your life it probably made you a better you know better person for it um you can always recall that um you know that moment when you're coaching you can try to impart that feeling on your players um so it's really cool to to hear you talk about that and hear you open up about like what that meant for you so um as hard as it is going to be to move on from that topic, because it's probably always fun to talk about national Absolutely. championship. Um, we'll move on. Um, graduating UNC um, from Boston and London and Czech Republic amongst many places. But yeah. how did you find your way to Portland, Oregon of all places? Yeah. So Nike had always been a dream job for me. It was kind of my North star going to business school. I knew I wanted to be in sports in some fashion and what better place than Nike. Um, so that was always the guiding star. I tried to get two internships, got denied from both of those. So gave it a last third Hail Mary try to try to get my foot in the door. Um, and luckily landed it, had another job opportunity lined up. Uh, but instead of taking that one after I graduated, went on a limb, went on that gut feeling that we talked about um, while picking a school for lacrosse and just said, hey, I'll, I'll bet on myself on this one and I'll take an internship at my dream job location instead of taking um, a permanent job in Carolina. Um, so it was a dream spot to end and kind of had to take a flyer on it. And luckily it all worked out. So from, from intern to full time, it's not an easy thing to do at the world of Nike. There's a lot of broken hearts out there too. <laughs> there are. <laughs> um, so you're at Nike. Let's move on to talking about, um, maybe your lacrosse coaching philosophies. We'll get into coaching in Oregon since now you're in Oregon. That'll be kind of how we end the podcast um, for a lot of our fans. But we'll we'll talk about your lacrosse coaching philosophies to kind of build up to what you are imparting on the kids of Oregon um, today. Let's start with, because we did not touch on it when, you, when we were talking about your high school career, um, talk about multiple sports and if you played any multiple sports throughout your high school career, youth career, and how that helped you become a better lacrosse player? I owe everything that I've done on the lacrosse field to other sports. And if you're not playing anything other than lacrosse, then you're hurting your lacrosse ability. You playing 
lacrosse 360 days a year is not going to make you a better lacrosse player than if you take a season off and play football, take a season off and play basketball. There are so many aspects of all those sports that translate. Um, and you just learn how your body works in different ways. So when you get put in an awkward situation, you've done that before on a basketball court, on an ice rink. You've done all the motions that you could possibly put in before, even if it's not something that you're directly practicing. And it's just fun. When I was in middle school, I played two sports a season. I would play football and hockey in the fall. I would play hockey and basketball in the winter. And then I would play baseball and lacrosse in the spring. Um, so God love my parents who put up with all that as well as a brother who was doing the exact same thing. Um, but it was just fun. It was something that I loved. I would never get burned out on lacrosse because there's always something coming, uh, down the pipe of a different sport. Um, and there's so much you can take from other sports, basketball, pick play, sliding on help defense, pushing transition, just getting in good shape. You can't learn all of that on the lacrosse field. Um, and same thing with football, that tenacity, knowing that it takes everybody on the field, um, the physicality, all that stuff you wouldn't learn if you just played lacrosse either. So when I got to high school, I couldn't play six sports anymore. I had to dial it in. So I played football uh, all throughout high school, was a middle linebacker, then wrestled my freshman year just to try something completely new, work on my hand speed, work on my footwork. Um, played the cross obviously in the spring played football all four years my sophomore and junior year I actually danced um, so I was the first guy in 14 years to dance at the school did modern lyrical ballet and hip-hop um, goal going into there was do something different that I'd never done before um, increase my flexibility and increase my footwork and what an experience that that was uh i think i got one other guy um sam davis who ended up going to penn state to play lacrosse um to come out with me and it was crazy some of the stuff we were doing out there and i can tell you i have never ever ever been so nervous including the national championship than getting out on a stage in front of the entire school dressed in drag to do a dance performance that that was something that I can still not get through my head that I actually did that. Um, but did that for two years, then, uh, played rec volleyball in the winter of my senior year again, just to do something different. I feel like I had done the dance thing. It improved my flexibility hugely. I always say flexibility is cheap speed. Um, the more you can get the range of motion in your muscles, the faster you're going to be. And I can credit dance, um, a lot for that. Um, but then also footwork, just getting light on my feet. You hear that from coaches all the time is how light can you be on your feet? How quick can you move? Um, and just learning how my body moved in different ways, uh, is a huge credit to dance. And I saw it translate on the field for sure. That's first off, absolutely incredible. I've never heard <laughs> of an individual playing so many different things and, I mean, like the dance is almost like you hear it's like, oh, I played two sports a season in middle school and then I played football and did the whole basketball thing, you know, rec volleyball and like dance like the ice cream cake. I'm like, OK, he did everything. <laughs> he just didn't. He, the only thing he didn't do was probably like valet everyone's car at the high school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but it's I mean, more credit to kids out there. Just go out and try things. I tell kids this all the time. Uh, it doesn't matter 
necessarily what you're doing as long as you are doing something that's different and you will learn from it regardless of the experience it could be a bad experience well if it's a bad experience we'll still have a good mindset about it and just don't do it next year you learn something from yeah, it you still learn something from it probably the first thing is i never want to do that again but you know i had kids play i've seen players of mine play water polo like what a cool experience like it's a cool it's a badass sport um I, I always say kids like if you're not if you're not doing something monday through friday every day of the week like going home sitting on your couch and watching tv or playing video games does not count as something different you're not learning much um but i think you are a testament to how much other sports uh including dance can help you become the best lacrosse player you want i mean and lacrosse was your focus you wanted to go play college lacrosse but you still took the time to go play all these other sports knowing it would help you and i don't think i think that's lost in kids today it's they think like i'm gonna go play college lacrosse so let's just let's scrap football I'll play basketball because it's, you know, not that intersection of lacrosse. Um, but I'm going to scrap football because, you know, I need to play, you know, lacrosse in the fall to get recruited. Not necessarily the case. Yeah, I uh, think specialization in sport is really killing sports in general. You even look at sports like soccer and you have to play soccer year round and you're not able to play any other sports. You're not even able to play for your high school. You only can play for your club um, and stuff like that, just killing sports in general. And I see a lot of kids, Oh no, I'm just playing lacrosse. I'm doing box. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm getting better at just lacrosse and box is great. Don't get me wrong. Work on your stick skills. But if you can get out there and do other sports, that's going to translate way better than playing box every Sunday, uh, for the entire winter. If you got out and you played basketball or you did water polo and worked on your endurance and, worked on your arm speed like all that stuff is just going to make you such a better lacrosse player and it's going to be way more fun if you play lacrosse year-round box fields and it's not that different you're gonna you're gonna get burned out and by the time you get to college lacrosse when you have to do it for a living and they say you only do it for 20 hours a day but it's really or 20 hours a week it's more like 40 hours a week you can get burned out really quick if you still still don't have that love for the game. So explore as many sports as you can. Lacrosse will be there. Um, all right, cool. So talked about multiple sports. Let's talk about your defenseman. So this will be more of a defense-heavy talk from here on out. Um, let's talk about your def- approach to coaching defense. And I have a feeling my first question is going to bring some resemblance back to that dance question, but what is your approach if you're coaching a kid um, from an individual on-ball perspective? What's important? What do they need to know? What are you teaching first? God, there's there's a, a lot of parts of, of on-ball defense. I'll, I'm going to divert from your question initially just to say Everybody wants to be the on-ball cover guy. Yeah, I want to be the takeaway guy. I want to be the guy who's at Maverick Showtime, who's showing all the coaches that I'm the best takeaway guy that there is here. I was a terrible one-on-one defenseman if you look at the rest of our class um, that was getting recruited that year. I knew that wasn't my strong suit. Yes, I could cover guys, obviously, but that's not why I got recruited Um, North Carolina would have taken five other players over me if they were looking for a number one lockdown cover guy. They took me because I opened my voice, I opened my mouth, had a loud voice, um, and could orchestrate an entire defense around myself while I stood in the middle of the field and hedged. 
like that I got recruited for standing, hedging and talking. Um, so going back to recruiting in general, like, and just playing lacrosse, you don't need to be the takeaway guy. You don't need to be the lockdown cover guy. I would be looking more for guys who I'm coaching to have a voice, be a, we call it an alpha male, be an alpha out there and tell everybody else what they have to do. Cause you can be as amazing as you want one-on-one. They just won't throw it to your guy. And then the rest of the defense is going to get absolutely torched. If my guy might score once when I, when he takes me, but if I can make sure all other five guys on the field are doing what they're supposed to do, nobody's going to get an opportunity to get close to the goal. Um, so I would say that even when you're thinking about recruiting, it's, it's about what you do when you're not on ball that makes you a great lacrosse player in my mind. I think about it. So one, you know, depending on if, depending on if you're guarding, you know, the guy, so to speak. Um, but let's just say for the sake of this argument that all six guys on the field can play lacrosse. And it's just, you know, think about like a very like Canadian team that you play that everyone's sharing the ball. Well, you're only on ball for one sixth of the time. You, what are you doing the other five, six of the time that they're on offense? It's the most important. And it's, it's, it's my philosophy too. When I coach offense, it's what are we doing when we don't have the ball five, six of the time? Um, because you can't just stand there and be a tree. Exactly. And a a lot of kids get, I feel like it too caught up in that is like, and I did it in high school as well. Um, like I said, I had a big ego and my guy is not going to score. If that means that I'm going to jog back into the center and establish myself as a hot so I can have a second more, um, rest time so I can make sure my guy doesn't score. Then like, that's what I was doing. Um, but then I came to find out very quickly that that doesn't get you very far and it doesn't get a team very far. Um, as if you were to hustle to the middle and you're to talk your head off just to make sure everybody's on the same page. And I think that's a huge lesson for kids too, is that you don't have to be right. Um, we always said in college that as long as we're on the wrong page together, we're great. We don't all have to be on the right page, but as long as we're all on the wrong page together, then we're going to have a really good defense. Um, so don't worry if you're not saying the exact right things, whether you're playing on ball defense and a pick's coming and you say switch or stay. If you're the guy who's supposed to be talking, talk. And if the other guy doesn't listen, that's his fault. Even if he didn't get hit by the pick and you said switch, he needs to find a guy and switch. Be confident in your voice um, because that's going to lead the defense. When you're not confident in your voice, then you say stuff really quietly like switch. And nobody's doing the right thing. And then it's all your fault because you didn't say anything. Um, so be confident. There is no wrong answer for a lot A lot of the time. There's stuff you can work on. But as long as you're using your voice, you're going to be in a great spot. Um, but to get back to your one-on-one mm-hmm. question, uh, so much of it is footwork and positioning for me. Everybody's heard this a million times. Take away topside. Um, my biggest thing that I see with kids is being being patient. Um, you want to, you want to rev at a hundred miles an hour all the time. Um, and we always say trail through X trail through X. Um, and kids just want to beat guys to the spot. A guy turns one way and I need to be in front of him. You have to know when to rev back and know that he's going behind the goal. There's no reason for me to have to beat him behind the goal. Relax, let him do his hitches back and forth and just stay in one spot. Um, so I think patience is a huge thing for me. Um, 
which doesn't mean you're not aggressive. It just means when your guy's dodging, you're patient and don't have to jump at every move he makes. Because if you're playing your angles right, you have an extra foot of separation um, that you can use. So Coach Tierney always used to, at Denver used to always say, and I've taken it with me. It's he he would always yell it, and it's probably the thing he enjoyed yelling the most <laughs> at, at other teams' players. And it wasn't like he was like trying to be like he wasn't chirping he was just trying to help his defense you know we'd have like the the cover guy that covered the short quick attack man i i can think of like uh jimmy bitter like joey yep. shanky we used to play those guys he i mean he would just scream it the whole time let him dance let him dance let him dance <laughs> all the time and then you know basically our defense would just stand up and just kind of be patient wait for him until he you know hit gle and then we you know and then you go yeah so. yeah so definitely don't don't jump at every move um and i always tell uh, my defenseman as well is, you know, what's that six foot stick for? And it's for separation. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you're playing, unfortunately, you're probably playing defense because coach put you there because you're too slow to play anything else. And then that's why I got put there. Um, I know that. And I know that's why a lot of kids get put there. Um, and I always have the idea that the guy I'm playing against is faster than me. Let's just, that's kind of baseline. 98% of the time, that attack, uh, that attackman is going to be quicker and faster than I am. But I have six feet, which I say is two feet of recovery room. I also have a foot with a crease that I can make up space in. So you may be faster than me, but you're not three feet faster than me. And uh, the better I can get with my angles, the more I can use my stick to give me cushion and recovery room, Nobody should ever beat me because if somebody's three steps faster than me, then all the power to them or I have to work on my foot speed. Um, but the more you can get better angles, being patient, letting them dance um, and using that stick to your advantage, then there's nobody, no matter how quick they are, that um, should be giving you trouble. Yeah, that that speeds in the NFL. That speeds Saquon Barkley and Todd Gurley and all those guys. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That speeds not typically not, on the lacrosse field. Not usually unless you have a Jordan Wolf. Yeah. Um, all right, so we, we're going to go on individual on ball, but team defense, um, you kind of touched on it. You know, you got to be vocal. You got to be an alpha. But that, you know, that necessarily can apply to just one person who is the vocal leader. How do you incorporate – how do you get all six guys on the same page or the wrong page? Yeah, uh, or the <laughs> wrong page together, whichever yeah. one you want. Um, I think a lot of it does come from an alpha. You know, it, it's an individual thing, but – if you have a lot of other guys who are bought into that leader, I think of Sunset High School and I think of Ajax Zapatel as somebody who is an alpha, but somebody who is an amazing leader, maybe even a better leader than he is a lacrosse player. And for everybody that knows how good at lacrosse he is, I think that's saying a lot. Um, you have somebody who people will listen to no matter what. And having that type of res- having that type of respect as a leader, but then also being an alpha to make the call or make the wrong call. Um, I think hugely important. And then it's a lot of trust and that trust doesn't just happen in a game. That trust happens in practice every single day. Are my short stick D middies able to guard somebody or do I know that they're going to get blown past? And so I'm going to slide right off the bat, even maybe when I don't have to, because I don't trust them. Uh, so understanding personnel for everybody, I think, is, is super critical. Who do I have to slide to? Does he like to force him underneath or does he get beat top side more? Having that understanding and that relationship with all your teammates 
um, I feel is huge because there's, there is a big ego thing. I don't want to get slid to. You got to deal with this in college all the time. I'm the division one all American D midi. Like don't slide to me. <laughs> well, you just got roasted and that's why we got scored on. So like you're trying to deal with these personalities. Um, uh, uh, and even with close defensemen, don't slide to me. I'm the number one cover guy. Like don't slide. Well, you got inside role. And if we just played our scheme, we would have been fine. Um, so I think it's one of those things you just have to, as a leader on that team, make sure everybody puts personalities aside and play the scheme. No matter who you're playing against, don't get out of your way. If you have a good scheme and everybody's on the same page together, um, you're going to be in a great spot. But then when everybody tries to be a hero, um, and is yelling at people for sliding or for not doing specific things, then that's when you start getting, um, in trouble because you're trying to change your scheme based on individual personalities. And that just, uh, leads to a disaster of a defense. Yeah. You know, the word trust comes up a lot for me when I coach and trying to develop trust amongst teammates is huge in every part of the game. And I like to, you know, for the coaches out there and for the players, especially out there listening, that trust is also developed completely off the field, um, in the lunchroom, in the locker room, you know, when you're hanging out at your buddy's house, like that, that trust is, you know, if you are friends on off the field, you're going to play better on the field. Um, and that's, that can be facilitated by a coach. So coaches out there need to find a way to help facilitate that trust and that friendship. But it is more importantly, it's player led. It's, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather a team full of players coach themselves and a a couple coaches have all the words. So, um, Try to figure out a way on your teams and players out there. Try to figure out a way. If you're one of those alphas on the team and people ha- do respect you, how do you incorporate everybody and make everybody trust each other, not only on the field but off the field? So, And I think it goes back to our earlier point, too, is like get out and just play sports together. Like I remember back in high school, like all my buddies who play on the lacrosse team, we all won – state championships in football together. Like right. that, that bond doesn't come from playing Fortnite and having a microphone on and talking to each other. Like that, that one-to-one connection where we just did something physically cool together. Like you don't get that three play three by put in a little mini net and uh, put it, bring out a short stick. If you're a pole and play three on three and put a league together, have a championship, crown yourself a winner. Like, there's just there, there's just so much fun stuff that sport offers you and and it creates that everlasting bond. It doesn't have to be in lacrosse. Win a basketball championship together, and then those same guys go and play on the lacrosse field and you have a bond that nobody can break for so many other reasons just playing lacrosse together. Make those pickup games physical. Draw blood. Exactly. Like, no get, blood, no foul. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I remember just like the guys I trusted the most in high school when I was on the field with them were the guys that like would routinely like elbow me in the side, 100%. like check me in the hands. We're playing three by like, you know, that's just where trust is built. It doesn't sound like it would build trust, but for some crazy reason it does. Absolutely. Um, all right. So we'll end uh, the coaching philosophies with one simple question. Hopefully it's simple. I mean, I, I bet you could elaborate, but um, what does every young defenseman we'll say young, we'll say high school and lower need to do today to improve their game? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, or maybe maybe even phrased differently is what are they not doing today that is hurting them besides, you know, the multiple sport thing? Yeah, so obviously there's multiple sport thing. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
say this in two parts. One is have fun. I feel like there there's a lot of specialization, like we've talked about a lot um, on this podcast, and I need to go D1. I need to do this and that. It's just you're not going to play as well. I learned that from my experience. So have fun at what you're doing. And then from a technical side is work on the footwork and put the work in. Um, nothing is going to make up for doing ladder drills. Nothing is going to make up for doing W drills. Nothing's going to make up for doing approaches and working on navigating the back of the cage and stepping over with the right foot. Like those are things that you just have to rep out and it can be as easy as 20 minutes a day, buy a $20 ladder and do 20 minutes a day. YouTube it. There is so many different platforms to learn at what you have to do. If you can master your footwork, us coaches have to take care of the rest. If you're, if you're willing to put in that work, then we can take care of everything else from being patient. Um, what to do technically, just work on that footwork and you'll be in a great place. And I know for myself, that was my goal. Uh, when I was going into my senior year, don't do this. I'm caveating this with don't do this. Um, worked out for eight hours a day, six days a week, and then five hours on Sunday. I would do ladder drill, workout, run in the morning, then take a pause for lunch, go back, do the same workout, same ladder drills, second part of the day, and just keep running through the circuit. If somebody else came into the weight room, then I wasn't leaving until they left. And that was just my mentality going through it is I'm going to work harder than anybody else. Um, it's probably why I was hurt my senior year, unfortunately. So again, I'm caveating this. Um, but that kind of, you'd say the, the Mamba mentality of I'm just going to outwork anybody else um, is huge and something that we can't coach. Um, so just, just putting that work, especially on the ladder and working on that footwork. Yeah, grab a ladder, $20, $30, whatever it is. Get your money's worth out of it. Break it down cost per minute using it i mean it gets pretty cheap after a while if you're a parent out there should i buy my kid this should i buy him not if he's truly going to use it you know he'll he'll you know you'll get your money back so 100 and uh a quick note that i've told a lot of kids that i've coached over the years um for me for number one thing hands down footwork um but you come to lacrosse and stick work is the other part of the game if you master the footwork and you master the stick work then you're a hell of a lacrosse player um my 2016 we implemented a rule that you had to do five minutes of wall ball before you went out to practice and that's because our team in 2016 when we won the national championship literally could not throw and catch in line drills i i'm not kidding when i said we we're a bad lacrosse team so we did five minutes of wall ball every day um and that's 20 right-handed passes 20 left 20 single hand right, 20 single hand left, and then a couple over the shoulder. So throw with my right hand, catch it over my shoulder, going across my body. That's all we did. Won a national championship, direct correlation or not. Next year, we just won a national championship. We're too cool. I'm great at lacrosse. I'm at North Carolina. Why am I playing wall ball? We stopped playing wall ball, and we don't even make the playoffs. <laughs> So I can't say there's a one-to-one -one connection, but I can say one year we played wall ball for the first time ever in UNC lacrosse history, and we won a national championship. 
The next year, we went back to doing everything that led to 25 years without a national championship, and we didn't make the playoffs. I'm drawing a pretty a pretty straight line between the two. Um, so put it put in the work on the wall as well. I, that's a common theme in this podcast. Every single guest has preached the wall at some point. So if you've listened to this, if you are if this is your third episode of three listening to this, and you are still not playing wall ball, you're doing something wrong at this point. I mean, we we just got done at Lake Oswego, um, had a great season, but there was a point in the season halfway through the year where we got absolutely we got our teeth kicked in by a very talented Lakers team. I remember the next day we had a, you know, mandatory time to be at practice or be in the film room rather um, every day and set the captains player led made a new rule that now you're at the facility 30 minutes early and everybody's playing wall ball together. And it was awesome. a month and a half, two months of wall ball before, you know, they got that in before, you know, we made our playoff run. And again, you don't really know if there's correlation, um, but everything helps. So I like what you said. Don't think you're too cool, even if you do something good um, once, because you still need to put in the work every day. 100%. Um, all right, let's move on to your current coaching endeavors. Um, you are currently at Madlax, um, coaching the 2023 team still this fall? Yep. Um, are you still coaching with Cam? Still coaching with Cam. Nice. There's a lot of energy on that sideline. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> just want to... You've never really been to Oregon, haven't really coached out here. What were you expecting coming to Oregon um, from, a, from a lacrosse perspective, a place that's only been playing high school lacrosse for just over 20 years? I think I was, ex- I was expecting probably what you would expect from a cocky Northeastern uh, lacrosse player is lacrosse is going to suck out here. Um, I think that that was my initial kind of thinking. I obviously knew uh, of Tucker from when we played against Tucker Dordovic, um, when we played against him at Syracuse. Um, so I kind of put two and two together that there might be some lacrosse out here, but in general, everything I've heard, um, I'd coach in California a little bit for advance, um, had seen some of the lacrosse out there, which has its highs and lows. And I think coming to the Pacific, Northwest, I was expecting uh, even a bigger depth um, from California. And I'd have to say I was presently surprised um, when I came here. Uh, I think the lacrosse played at a high level from clubs is really good. Um, and then being able to coach guys like uh, Chop and Ajax uh, from Sunset who are playing at the next level um, was really eye-opening for me. Coming here, really expecting nothing from the, the lacrosse and then being able to find some kids who could really play and will uh, be amazing players at the next level. Yeah. So, so from what has like supri- surprised you um, just the level of, you know, some, the top end guys and even some of the guys, I mean, you probably expected coming in like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to coach it like this, or I'm not going to be able to put in this scheme. I, they might not understand it. Have, were you surprised from a, from a level of coaching that you could get to with some of the kids? I think, an IQ level is what shocked me the most. Um, I heard it from coaches in Oregon right off the bat of, Hey, we don't have many coaches out here. Like this is one of our biggest problems. There's just, we, there's just not a lot of coaching pool. Um, so I think that was very surprising to me. I thought like the whole, you know, notion of defensive concepts would be lost on a lot of these kids and we would just be running around. Um, but I was very, 
very pleasantly surprised, even working with the 23 teams from Madlax, but then also working in high school with uh, Sunset. There's a lot of really smart lacrosse players here. Um, I think there's a lot to do on the skill side. You have a lot of talented kids, um, but there's definitely improvement from a skill set standpoint. But in terms of IQ, getting a defensive system, just being yes coach, no coach, got you, eye contact, all those things that you can't teach as well. Um, I was very surprised about, and you know, uh, it makes it fun for a coach when you have kids who are willing to be coached and can pick things up. That was always what I was told as a kid is you can make mistakes, but when I tell you what to do, do it that way the next time, make a mistake, but don't make it twice. Um, and I feel like kids uh, in Portland, especially in lacrosse are doing a great job of that is, you know, making mistakes, but only making it once. Yeah. When I was talking with Josh Peck and he's been coaching in Portland and the surrounding area for longer than we have, um, he said the there's, he feels like he is there's he gets more gratification from coaching in this area he's coached east coast he's coached a lot of places and he said i don't i don't remember what he said but probably to your point too we've only been playing it for a little over 20 years at the high school level there's not that tenured ego that you know 100 years of the east coast can breed we'll get there don't get me wrong <laughs> the kids are kids and the ego will come um what i like to say is our our you know our top end talent can play with anybody it might not we might not have nearly as many as yep. the east coast but our top end talent can clearly go and play tucker dordovic sam hanley was first team all-american um even back in 2009 we've you know we've had twarton winners first team all-americans they can play with each other um give it time and that middle tier that average lacrosse player is going to keep getting better and kind of getting closer and closer to what the east coast is you know we're still in our infancy but give it time and it's only thanks to guys like you coming from where you came from and having the wealth of knowledge like you said the coaching pool is so small and what we are really just in desperate need of are not the players it's the coaches so absolutely it's exciting to see where this is going to grow like you said we build that middle pool of -hmm. talent and then you're going to really see the the sport take off because the top talent's there and i think it's on us as coaches because you have kids who are willing to listen and want to play the sport when that middle section of talent starts to grow then Oregon is going to definitely be a powerhouse. Yeah. Um, let's move on from Madlax. Um, moving on to your position as a defensive coordinator at Sunset. Um, give us a brief rundown of um, your season in purple. Yeah, it, it was a blast. Um, we started the season on a very up and down team. On, on, unfortunately, I had a lot of experiences of that at Carolina, so I was kind of used to it where you would, you would hit a high and then you'd hit the ultimate low, hit a high, hit the ultimate low. You just bring it with you. I just bring it with me everywhere I go. It might be instilled in me, unfortunately. Um, but we had a lot of ups and downs in the, the beginning uh, of our season. We had, had some amazing wins where we looked like we couldn't get stopped, and then we'd play games where we couldn't throw and catch and had an amazing goalie who bailed us out of games and made us look better than we were for a majority part of the season. Um, but the kids took that and responded to it. And I think huge credit to Justin Blackmore, who is our head coach. He is very even keeled. He's going to be the same day in and day out. Um, and I think that's huge for a team, especially a team that is so up and down. Uh, you have a coach that can be that steady presence. Um, I think he did an amazing job of that. I think especially at the high school level where their emotions aren't as regulated as 
you know, college players or even older, um, to have that even keeled presence around you all the time, it kind of helps level out the emotions of a 16, 17 year old that are going like this, right. All the time, all so the time. you could have the worst day in the world as a 16 year old. And for some, whatever reason, because you got a candy bar at lunch, you got, you're having the best <laughs> day of your life. So having that, having that middle ground that kind of can split the middle. And when you show up to practice, it's the same every day. Exactly. So, so J- Justin did an amazing job of that. Kudos to him. He kept us kind of on the straight and narrow, even through all those ups and downs at the beginning of the season. But I'm a big um, journey process over outcome guy. Um, and I think uh, those ups and downs taught us a lot about our team, um, uh, brought out a lot of leaders, um, and you saw who was going to lead this team, who wanted to be a part of it, who was going to give it day in and day out, no matter what the rest of the team was doing. How are we going to respond after a loss, after getting the crap kicked out of you? Do we come back and we sulk about it? Do we still think we're hot crap and we can just roll out there and play whenever against anybody? Um, so there was a lot of gut checks early in the season, uh, which made a huge difference. And we went on a 14 game winning streak tear through the end part of that season, which was so much fun to be a part of. Um, you looked at some of those performances that we put together and it was really incredible the way this team came together, the way larger um, leaders emerged and the offense started clicking. The defense was sliding, recovering, playing great one-on-one defense. Um, so it, it was super fun to see, top end talent play really well, but then also bring along the rest of the team and inspire a bunch of freshmen to play well. I think that's one that the biggest things for us is that you had a young attackman, you had a freshman LSM who was also tasked to play close defense. And you had these freshmen come to life at the be at the end of the year. Um, and that confidence that they had to be superstars, um, through the last six games of the season is a huge credit to the senior leadership and junior leadership that was on that team. Um, so I'm excited for next year. Obviously, um, the season didn't end the way we wanted it to. We came out extremely flat. I feel like the moment um, got to us a little bit, being in a semifinal game, and we gave up two goals that were bad plays from some of our best players on the team. Um, uncharacteristic uh, mistakes that I think took the took the life out of everybody. We clawed back, but didn't have enough um, to make the comeback. But all, again, the process um, over the outcome. I think there were so many great learnings from that game specifically, um, but then also throughout the entire year. That's really going to fuel this team uh, for the upcoming year. Yeah, the scariest teams are always the one that left something on the table, oh, and absolutely. they and they know it, right? So it's. And they can think of probably count three or four teams in my hand that you just don't want to play, especially at the beginning of the year where all the emotions are there. Oh, yeah. You know, Everybody's ready to be back. I want them to be a few months in the road. Yeah. Where they <laughs> They've already forgotten about last year. Um, so, actually, we're I think we're opening up with you guys, which is fun. Right. Yeah, at your oh, place. Oh, boy. That's yeah, going to be fun, which is I just Both totally, a lot to prove. totally, totally contradicted myself, <laughs> but play the best. Um, if you want to be the best, you got to keep playing the best. Absolutely. Um I'm always curious when I, I talk to a, a coach or even a player. It's, is it, and it's 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 amazing the different responses you get. If you can pinpoint a single play or moment, could be at practice, could be at uh, a game, could be on a 
trip, could be doing anything. Can you pinpoint as your favorite moment from the season? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think the one that was most fun and instilled a lot of confidence on the, on this team was uh, going up to Seattle and playing Bellevue and beating them in overtime. Um, overtime wins are always amazing, but to have this be kind of our road trip, uh, felt like a college trip all over again, um, taking um, taking the cars up uh, to Seattle, playing under the lights, and watching the star that is Chop take over a game and really put the team on his back, and then also see a defense work seamlessly together, sliding, recovering against big midfielders who are running downhill and are going to score um, and watching how the defense reacted to that and then watching how our players um, and our stars sh- shone and uh, shined in the biggest moments, um, I think was amazing. And then to see that team run onto the field after and celebrate that type of win uh, was a great kind of start to the season. Yeah, I remember watching that game film um because we, yeah, we remember watching that game film. And I remember Chop scoring this goal. And I'm like, dude, how? A, how's the ball on your stick still? <laughs> B, how did you put it in where you put it in? And I just remember also watching the game film with like Bellevue's got like how are these kids are just massive, huge. For, like they're just I don't know how they're breeding them so big, but <laughs> it doesn't. Again, to your point about team defense, it doesn't matter how big your guys are versus how big they are. It's if six guys play better than their six guys, things are going to work out, and it has nothing to do with size. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, that that was definitely the high point, but it's funny talking about our highs and lows. You come back two games later and have the worst loss that I've ever, 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 ever been a part of and hope to never be part of something like that again against Mercer Island. Um, and I think just that spoke to the 24 hours of what our team was for the first half of the year. Um, so those highs come with the, those lows, which were very low. Um, but I think it made that, that high feel that much better at that time. Yeah. Looking back on it. I watched, I mean, I watched Mercer play. That was a machine. They were good. They well coached team. Um, so maybe not, maybe, uh, you could probably make it not as bad of a loss, but they were still a good team. Yeah. Shooting from 20 yards out and yeah. hitting corners. <laughs> There's at some point I was like, coach, you just, sorry guys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're cut we're out. We're going to need to hold the ball here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we'll end with our last uh, question on the on the last kind of topic here. In hindsight, um, we always reflect as coaches. You're probably still reflecting on a day-to-day, maybe week-to-week basis. And even the beginning of next year, even though you try to flip the script, and last year always comes up. And you're like, how did I do it last year? How did I do it? Should I do it differently? In hindsight, um, anything you might have done differently throughout the year or um, coach something differently or – you know, I think as coaches, we're always reflecting and trying to get, grow from last year and um, wondering if you had one of those moments or aspects of your season from last year. Yeah, I think I'm excited that we have a scheme that um, our team trusted now. I think a part of being a new coach and coming in year one is est- establishing a scheme that everybody can get their head wrapped around. And I feel like we did at the end of the year. Um, so just in terms of opportunities, I'm super excited to come in with a core group of guys uh, a lot of returners from last year on the defensive end who know what we're trying to get after, 
understand why we're doing it, the ways that we're doing it as a coach, that's always important. And it's, we're doing this, but do we all understand why um, right. and make sure you get the buy-in? Um, so I'm super excited, um, for that. We have a system everybody's bought into. So I feel like we can click off the bat, um, a lot earlier. Um, but just in terms of coaching style, I feel the one thing for me, you know, being a leader from high school, being a captain, college, being a captain has always been accountability and holding our players accountable. Um, whether it's being a captain or now being in the leadership position as a coach. Um, I feel like that's something that I've always, um, struggled on the balance of, um, I'm a very friendly, agreeable guy, like don't want to call people out, but there is that balance, um, of holding our team accountable. And I feel like year two with this team, that's definitely something that I'm going to challenge myself on is that the small day-to-day stuff is, has to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, then you're going to hear from me about why it's not perfect. Um, and so I'm excited this year, um, uh, to continue, pushing our team to be great every day in practice. Um, I think we did a good job of it last year, um, but good doesn't win new state championships. So I feel like getting great at that day in and day out, holding our guys accountable to make sure every step in every drill is planned out and they're doing it right. And if you're not doing it right, then we have to work on it to get it perfect in this moment and not save it for halfway through the season. Um, to when it's the point that, that it's too late. So I, I'm excited uh, for the team that we have coming back, have a scheme that we're all bought into, and now we can all be accountable for. Yeah, little things little things matter. Over the course of a three-and-a-half-month season, they add they up really and they do. culminate to, to what your ultimate outcome is. You know, you can probably think back from not many people get to end the season on a win. Most people lose their last game of their career or their yep. season. Um, and you always reflect, it's not, it's never like the big things. It's never like, Oh man, we shouldn't have slid this way or, uh, our two slides shouldn't have came from here or wh- what have you. It's always like, man, that little, little thing that he didn't do right. Or that our team didn't do right. And I always, it's, it starts with like, it starts, starts with simple things. Like, how do you line up your bags? How do you organize your locker? That stuff or translates to the little things on the field. If my footwork, you start to notice like the little things that you're doing wrong. And once you get players that can pick that out for themselves after you hold them accountable and then you know long no longer have to hold them accountable um that's where you see like that infinite growth and Absolutely. so it's again it's going to be a scary sunset team mainly on the defensive end I'm excited um just in this talk so um <laughs> maybe i'll get jb and talk about the offense see, see, <laughs> see how we're going to defend it um but uh we'll end with some ending thoughts here um just some rapid fire questions a couple questions here um, what's one thing today that kids are not doing enough of? Have fun. Have fun. Have fun. Get out of play sports. Get off. Get off your butts. Stop playing video games. Make up a sport. Play football with the cross sticks. Like run routes and try to hit each other with somebody playing defense. Like make stuff up. Have an imagination. Have fun. Play a bunch of different sports. Everything's too serious right now, especially at the younger ages. Seemingly, it doesn't need to be competitive. Grab a stick and find an open field. Yeah. Um, when you're not on the field and I know this might be hard with probably how much you work. We were just talking about how you can't even come home without opening your laptop and yep. doing more we- emails. <laughs> but what keeps you busy um, when you're not on the field? What keeps you sane? Gosh. Um, luckily, lacrosse keeps me sane from yeah. work. Oh, fair. Um, uh, so, so that's huge. Um, again, it, it's sport. Uh, I'm a huge 
workout guy. I love, I've always loved it. I think that's what made me good at lacrosse is that I always want to be in the gym. I always want to be working, getting those endorphins out. So if I'm not on the field, if I'm not working, then, uh, you can find me in the uh, gym or just being creative. You know, I've done a bunch of different stuff, whether it's dance and different sports, I like to experiment. Um, so working on design skills, mocking up what different logos would like, not for work, but just for fun. Um, I think that's something that kind of puts me in my own world and, uh, gets me out of thinking about work or thinking about lacrosse. All right. Well, let's, let's just end the floor is yours. If there's anything we didn't touch on that you feel like we needed to touch on anything in particular before we sign out here. No, I mean, thanks for having me. Um, it's been a pleasure being on here. Hopefully, um, uh, people get something, uh, out of this and I haven't just ranted for an hour. Um, but for me, you know, it's all about the process. It's not about the outcome. You learn so much. If you can take something out of everything that you do, um, then it's always a, a success and have fun doing it. Um, you're going to have a lot more fun. Um, if you're just focused on doing everything every day, right. And not that big journey. Um, I can speak for myself. I thought the world would change if I won a national championship. You know, six years of my life was dedicated towards winning a national championship, thinking that you hit that and then all of a sudden I'm going to be happy and the world's going to be, you know, rainbows and butterflies. Um, and you win a national championship and I feel like a week is like that. Mm -hmm. And then it's back to life and you're doing it. You're doing all the same things you would have done if you lost the national championship. So obviously it's a good feather in the cap to have. Um, but just enjoy every single day. You know, the moments I remember from college and from lacrosse is me and my buddies hanging out and the low of UMass. Like when you ask me about my lacrosse career, like that, those are the moments I think of. It's not the national championship. Um, so have a blast, have fun playing sports. Um, know that one championship, one win isn't going to make you happy for the rest of your life. Um, it's all about just enjoying the process and enjoying every step. And that's going to, that's going to fuel you um, for your rest of your life with sports and without outside of sports. All right. That's yeah. We'll end on that. That's awesome. I know for me, I'm going to, I already took a lot from it. It's going to be sent immediately to the coaching staff over like us. We go, we're going <laughs> to listen to it. We're trying to pick up everything from everyone as possible. And I hope kids and parents and other coaches are doing the same. Um, so Ryan, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Oregon lacrosse podcast. Um, super awesome to have you on for those out there. Uh, make sure to follow us. And the only way we kind of promote this is on Instagram at the Oregon lacrosse podcast. Um, you can get updates on new episodes. Um, we've been kind of sporadic lately. Hopefully we can get those more streamlined. Um, but again, Ryan, thanks for your time and providing insight to our community. Absolutely. Right. Pleasure. Thank you. Yep.